Good morning. How are we doing? We surviving? 107 and we're still here, guys. We're making it through. I heard there was like five, six more weeks till school starts. And not that I'm counting down or anything. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Ali Shulman. I'm one of the pastors here. And like Stephen said, we are in the middle of a sermon series this summer, really lighthearted sermon series on vices and virtues. And we're doing this as kind of a nod to think about Christian thought. There's this whole world. First, we have Christian belief, right? The beliefs that we hold. Mostly, we articulate those in things like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. But then we have this whole other world of Christian thought where people think about what those beliefs mean and how they map on to our life. And that's a really interesting world because there's lots of people who disagree with each other. And there's lots of richness and depth in that wisdom. So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about this concept that comes from Christian thought, this idea of vices and virtues. And vice and virtue are both defined the same way in this thought. And they're defined like this. It's a habit or pattern of action that eventually, if you repeat it enough, hence the pattern, it forms your character. It forms who you are. And they're the same definition because it depends on the action or desire that you're repeating, whether you end up in a vicious cycle or whether you end up in a virtuous cycle, right? You can end up in either. But the whole point of the Christian project, according to these Christian thinkers, is for us to move from a place of vice, those vicious cycles, and move into a place of virtue. Because those virtues the ones that we have defined, are what is, what makes up the person of Jesus. And if we had to sum up everything that you're doing here, everything that the Christian life means, we'd sum it up like this. Your call is to live like Jesus in your time and place, which means that you have to be like Jesus in order to live like Jesus. So primarily, it's an internal work. It's something that we do on the inside. It shapes our outside actions and vice versa. But that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to talk about these virtues and these vices in order to move on that path to become more like Jesus. Now, we've tackled a few so far. If you haven't caught them, then you can go back and watch them. We've tackled gluttony and sloth and wrath. So we've gotten those three down. And now we go into the seedy deep, deep underground world of envy. We're going into envy today. But before we even start with envy, I need to make a clarification. And it's something that I didn't know at the beginning of this week. So I, I have a feeling you don't know either. Let's talk about the difference between envy and jealousy. Because I've been using them wrong. We all use them wrong. So let's clarify. Envy is between two people, generally. And it's usually when one person wants something that the other person has. That can be status, it can be a characteristic or a quality, it can be an actual thing that they want, but it's envy, that's envy between two people. Jealousy is something different. Jealous or jealousy is between three people and it is a jealous person is someone who has a good or a person or a quality or a characteristic and they feel like someone else is going to threaten 
their relationship with someone else, right? So this is how we think about when we read the Bible and we read that God is a jealous God, and that feels confusing because you're like, isn't jealousy sinful? Well, actually, jealousy is morally neutral. It usually means that you have a legitimate claim on something, and you're just nervous or scared or feel threatened that someone else, some entity, some hobby, some job, some other person might threaten the relationship that you have with that thing. Does that make sense? So when we say I'm jealous of your vacation pictures, that's not right. We should be saying I'm envious of that, right? I want that thing. You're jealous when you're in a great relationship and you're really scared that your partner is getting distracted by this hobby that he now has and you're feeling like that's gonna threaten your relationship. So you're jealous. Does that make sense? The difference between those. From now on, I'm really going to try really hard not to say jealous, and I probably will mess up. But we're going to replace that word with envious, because that's what envy actually is. Envy, and let's define it real quick. Envy is this. It's a pattern of excessive desire to possess a quality, object, or attribute that belongs to someone else. So it's a pattern of excessive desire of wanting something that someone else has. It can be a thing, but oftentimes it's not. It's more about like status or the relationship that they have or this, the job that they have, those type of things. You are envious of those things. And like all vices, envy actually starts at a normal good place. It starts with a good desire. That desire in humanity is the desire to imitate others. And you might think, huh, I don't think that's a great desire that we want to imitate others. But actually, like, if you talk to developmental psychologists, like, it's fundamental to the human race. We literally couldn't learn without that desire to replicate behavior of those around us. Like, look at toddlers. Like, go over, go over in that toddler room for a hot minute, right? And look what they do. They look at each other, then they understand what they're supposed to do, then they do the thing, bad or good, they do the thing, that the other person is doing. It's innate in us to need to imitate others. In fact, this concept is so common in sociology and psychology that they actually have defined this as benign envy. They call it benign envy. In other words, it's an idea that, oh, this desire to imitate others is actually good because it causes us to be motivated, right? It motivates us to finish our work, to be better. It creates society. There's a guy who wrote a paper who says, essentially, envy is a reason for social coexistence. It's needed. Now, Christian thinkers would push back on that and say, oh, you're talking about the desire to imitate others. That's fine. That's good. That's motivational. But what happens in humans? What happens in all of us? Every vice is a distorted desire. And over time, that desire to look around, to compare, to look at others, to see what they have, to try to motivate ourselves, it gets just a little bit distorted. We look around and, and we see people who have something that we want. Maybe they're really good at their job. And so we get kind of motivated and, and maybe we actually achieve that thing. And then, then that's just benign envy, that's okay. But that's not where envy stops often. You see, if we don't get the thing we want, or if we get the thing we want, but we're still not satisfied, then benign envy starts to shift and starts to corrupt and starts to change. And that's what 
most people refer to as envy proper, or if you're Christian, envy as a vice. It changes, it's something different than that initial desire to imitate others. And what's interesting about envy proper is we all know the cycle because it's repeated in lots of media, lots of books that we consume. See, envy proper starts with, oh, I want that thing that they have, maybe power. Oh, but then I have power. Oh, but I, I want that other person to have less power. Oh, now I don't want them to have less power. I just want them to be destroyed. I don't want them to have any power. And it becomes this vicious cycle that turns our souls into almost nothing. Y'all know, and I've told you that on Sundays, uh, we watch movies at our house. And we just got back from a 14-hour car drive to Iowa. So we watched a lot of movies. And one of them that I thought would be a great idea was Little Mermaid. Have you watched Little Mermaid recently? Have you watched it? So I was watching this, and I knew I was preaching on envy. And I watched the antagonist, Ursula, right? She's like a sea witch. And I thought about, like, she's crazy in that movie. Like, you watch that movie, and it is just her whole being, the way her eyes look. Like, everything about her is evil. Everything about her is evil. And then you realize that what her main vice is, what is causing all of this friction in her, is actually envy. Right? She envies Triton's power. And then even when she gets the power, she's not satisfied with that. She wants Triton or Ariel dead. She starts taking all of their souls. And what, is, what do those souls actually turn into? Do you remember this? They turn into little worms. She literally takes the soul out of these mermaids and turns them into not human anymore. And that is the power of envy. That is what envy can do. But we don't, we don't actually use the word envy and don't actually think we're responsible for envy because we don't turn out like Ursula. I mean, we, we know. We know that that's bad. We know that that's evil, so we don't go there. But that's not the problem with envy and us. Because the problem with envy is that envy is just the starting place for everything else. It's the starting place of so many other vices. Malice, hatred, covetousness, vengeance, vindictiveness, resentment, schadenfreude, the idea of sorrow over some, or good joy over someone else's sorrow. All of those start in the place of envy. In fact, I was, I was looking at a Catholic confessional manual, so like the things that they need to read in order to do their confessions, and they're very helpful in vices because they explain like the symptoms, they call them symptoms, of the vice. So let me read you this list. This is the, the symptoms of envy. Feeling offended at the successes or good fortune of others. Selfish or unnecessary rival or competition. Belittling others. Reading false motives into others' behaviors. Backbiting or backstabbing. Initiation, collection, or retelling of gossip. Pleasure at others' difficulties or distress. Scorn of another's abilities. Teasing or bullying. Ridicule. I mean, it sounds like your average middle school, right? <laughs> like that, that is humanity in somewhat of a nutshell. And we hide it. I mean, we're not obviously envious, right? Sometimes it's in our heart or in our brain or literally just like to our family because that feels safer. But it doesn't mean that envy still isn't in us, still isn't there, still couldn't corrupt us. Envy has the power to 
sever relationships at their knees. It has the power to destroy souls and the relationships we value most and distance us from the ones that we actually probably need to be in community with. But then the question becomes, well, what is so dangerous about envy? Why do we have this phrase, I'm sure you've heard it, that like envy is like drinking poison and watching the other, waiting for the other person to die? Why do we know that that's true? What is dangerous about envy? And interestingly, what's dangerous about envy is something that social science researchers and Christians agree on. The danger of envy, the root of all of it, is a distorted perception of self-worth. I'm going to say that again. It's a distorted perception of self-worth. And you might be thinking, whoa, 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 envy is about other people. What, what does it have to do with me and how I value myself? To explain that, I need to, I need to kind of backtrack. So like, will you backtrack with me for a second? Underneath all the desires we've been talking about through this vice series, the desire to eat, the desire to be with other people, the desire for rest, those are all good desires. So all these desires. But underneath that desire, there's a primal desire in humanity, one that's put there by God, one that drives almost everything that we do. Underneath that desire is the desire to feel worthy, loved, and valuable. If we feel worthy, loved, and valuable, God, we're so much better people. We're kinder. We're less anxious. We're more patient. When that need is, when that need is met, humanity, more or less, can be good and how they're created to be. But we have a problem with that desire. And this is where the sneaky twin of envy, pride, sneaks in. Pride, remember, is the inflated sense of self. It's the belief that you're in more control than you actually are. And it's the root of all vices. And so how it factors into envy is that pride, I often think of it, my spiritual mentor calls it no thank you decisions. So it's when God does something for you and you're like, no thank you God, I got it. No thank you God, I got it. That's pride, right? And so what God has told us over and over again in scripture, through other people, through nature, it's like, you are worthy because I made you. You are not worthy because of the things you do or the things you say or the job you have or the status you have or how many children you have or where you live. You are not worthy because of any external factor. You are worthy because you are my child. And he uses the phrase child because guess what? It mimics itself in our parent-child relationship. Do you love your kid? Because they did something? Is there anything your kid could do that would change your love for them? Hopefully not. And that's how God loves us. And he's repeated this, yelling from the sidelines, like, no, 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 no. You're not worthy because of all those other things you're pursuing in life. You're worthy because you're mine. You're my child. And what do we do? We say, oh, no, thank you, God. No, thank you, God. I don't actually need your definition of worthiness. That's too small. That seems too easy. I don't have to do anything with that. No, thank you. I don't need that. So instead, I'm going to go define what makes me loved and valuable and worthy. And we go out in the world and we try to find things that make us feel loved and worthy and valuable. 
And one of the places we turn, because it's the easiest for us to turn to, is other people. And we look at other people and we think, oh, God, they seem to have it all together. They seem successful and peaceful and happy. Look at those pictures from that vacation. Not only do they have enough money to afford it, they don't seem financially stressed, but they also seem so happy together. No one's in rehab, no one's divorced, no one's doing all this other stuff. That is what I want. That must mean that they feel loved and valuable and worthy. So I want that. And we start comparing ourselves. And then what happens is we say, ooh, they seem good, which means I seem bad. They seem worthy and loved and valuable, which means I'm not worthy and loved and valuable. And what starts to creep into our heart are these feelings that we hate, that we will do anything to get rid of, that we try to escape through all these other ways. And that's that feeling of inferiority, that feeling that we aren't good enough, that feeling that we don't measure up, that feeling that this is not what it's supposed to be. And that's why envy, in part, is this. But honestly, you could have this pattern, and if you didn't feel inferior, it wouldn't matter. So really, envy is this. It's a pattern of excessive desire to possess something someone else has, but it's based on a perception of inferiority. It's why we don't get envious when we're comparing to something we don't really care about. I don't care about being a good math person. I don't care about being a good accountant. I'm not envious of my husband's skills at math, right? No offense. I'm just not. <laughs> yeah? It's just not, we're not going to compare on the things that we don't ascribe worth and value to. We're only going to compare and be envious about the things that actually matter to us, that we've actually secretly in our little pride brain have said, no, 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 no. I am only worthy, loved, and valuable if I have these things. If I have this body, if I have this mind, if I have this life, if I have these kids, this marital status, then I'm okay. And so when we think about what is envy and where does it creep in in our life, we have to start at the very bottom, which is this idea that we are only worthy because of the things we do or say or how we live or who we're married to or who we have kids with or how our kids end up. And God is saying, God, y'all, none of that has ever been true. So then we get to the second part, which is like, great. If that's what's going on with envy, if that's what's happening in our hearts with envy, what do we do? What do we do? Because envy, it's so sneaky. It like sneaks into our lives, right? What do we do? to get rid of it. I think there's a couple options, but I, I stuck with the virtue here um, because I think that can be helpful. So I'm actually going to talk about two virtues because remember, what we're trying to do is move from vice to virtue. There's two virtues that I think counteract envy. The first is humility. But hear me out because all, same thing with jealousy. We misdefine it. Humility, we think, is a negative characteristic. It's something that has to do with someone who underestimates their worth and someone who's deferring in a way that's not helpful. This is the best definition of humility that I've ever had, and I, I operate from this. Humility in the Christian sense, as a Christian virtue, 
is assuming that you're, it's, they call it right-sizedness. It's not pride. You're not too big. You're not too small. You're the right value that God assigned you. So what this inherently means is that humility understands in its bones that you are worthy and loved and valuable, not because of any contingency. There's nothing that can change your value to God. And humility deeply understands that and lives from that and knows that nothing that you do is going to change God's opinion or love or value of you. And where that's really powerful is when you start to believe it for yourself, then you actually start to believe it for other people. And so when other people are doing crazy competitive things and they're like trying to like be better than you, you could look at them and say, oh friend, your worth is not because of how much money you make or if you get into the school or if you get that job or if you publish that number of papers. You can look at them with the second value which is our second virtue, which is charity, which again, gosh, man, this is such a language game, right? We say charity, we mean something else. This is charity in the Christian sense. Charity, or caritas in Latin, is the unconditional love of God for humans, reflected by humans to other humans. That's a lot of humans in there. But essentially, it's altruistic love. We might call this kindness. It's the idea of taking God's love for me, which is not contingent on anything, and extending it to other people without contingency. It's the idea of doing something unconditionally for other people. And you might think, yeah, yeah, it's good to be kind, but what in the world does that have to do with envy? How does it correct that envy in us? How does it move us from vice to virtue? There's a story about Brene Brown, who she wrote a book on all 87 emotions, Atlas of the Heart. And one of her stories about this is that she really struggles with envy, specifically in the pool. So she's a swimmer. And she's really competitive. And she goes to the pool every day. And she says that I used to like look at the lady next to me and try to like swim faster. And if I, if I didn't swim faster, I would have a really bad day. And she was like, that's how I knew. Like that was the root of envy. And so she started to think about, well, what can I do? She's a Christian woman. What can I do to start to undo this feeling? Like, what can I do? What practice? And she said, okay, if envy, one of the definitions of envy is sorrow over someone else's good. What if I changed it? What if I changed that and made it celebrating every else, everyone else's good? So what she started to do is in the pool, she would get in and she'd be like, Mentally, because she didn't say it out loud, she thought that was creepy, and I agree. Mentally, she would be like, okay, have a great swim, whoever's next to me. And she said, I started doing that repeatedly. And over time, things started to shift. Not perceptibly, right? Because envy is usually in our heads and in our hearts. But something started to change in her. It no longer mattered whether she beat her or didn't beat her. It suddenly became a cooperative activity. They were both here. They both loved swimming. They both did this every day. It changed her view. And that goes back to this fact of like, how do we move from vice to virtue? It's a practice. And with envy, you actually have to be kind of creative because envy is so deep-seated. It's so about the heart. It's so internal that things like fasting or things that are external, like gluttony and lust, we can't do that with envy. So we have to be a little creative. I think this idea of celebrating someone else's good is probably a good place to start. 
But you have to be particular because the ways I'm envious of people, you are not. Because there is something inside of you that's ascribing worth to something that's different than I am. For you, that might mean Instagram vacation photos. I mean, am I wrong? Like this season, right now, you ask someone how their travels go or where they're going, and there's a part of you, there's a little tiny part of you that's like, oh, dang it, I wanted to go to Florida. Maybe not Florida. Sorry, guys. Maybe Idaho, Wyoming, somewhere cool, right? There's some part of you that like is kind of happy but also not. How can you take those little moments when you're on Instagram and every photo you see, say, I'm so glad they're there. I'm so glad they're there. I'm so glad they're there. For me, like Brene, I don't know why, but a lot of my envy comes in in fitness classes. I go to the Y, and it's never, always, it's never like the 70-year-old woman I'm comparing myself or the 20-year-old. I can separate that. It's always people who are like me that I'm like, oh, she had three kids too. Let's see how this goes, you know? And I was like, how can I take this message of celebrating someone else's good? How can I transform that when I walk into the room? When you walk into your job, which might be an envious place for you, depending on who you work with. When you walk into your neighborhood, when you see your neighbors, how can you start to root out that envy by practicing charity? By being and with people, and in your mind, because it's usually creepy to say it out loud, say, I'm really glad they're here. I'm really glad they're here. I'm really glad they're here. Yes? So I want you this week to pick the area in your life where you feel that deep-seated root, like of envy, wherever that is. It might be online. It might be in person. I want you to pick that, and I want you to practice it this week. Pick a simple phrase. Don't make it over-theological. Don't make it over-intense. Pick a simple phrase. And see how that doing, repeatedly, remember virtue is a pattern, right? You have to do it over and over and over again. It doesn't work if you don't. Do that pattern repeatedly, and what happens over time? It starts to change the way you are. What you do becomes who you are, and who you are becomes what you do. So let's try that this week. Not by your own. We're about to sing a song that reminds us that this is not in our own power. Guess what? You can't become virtuous on your own. You do it through the power of something we call the Holy Spirit. So my prayer over this week, as we go out of this place, is really that you start to change your heart with the understanding that your worth and value has already been claimed. There are times, because we're human, when you're gonna try to search out something else to find your worth. That is natural, that is human, that is fallenness, that is sin. But that is not the end. That is not the final answer. You are good and you are whole and you are worthy and you are loved because there is a being called God who made you. And that is enough to live on. All right, let us pray. Holy and mysterious God, you presented us with this life that feels hard, where we rub against one another, where we make mistakes, where we try to hide our mistakes even before we make them publicly. Lord, we need you to elucidate those places where we have even blinded ourselves. We need you to see us, and we need to be able to participate in the mystery that is you. Lord, give us the strength and remind us that it is not us but Christ in us that completes and inspires and encourages the work. 
it's in your name that we pray. Amen.